Hello, my name is Mark Reed, Editor-in-Chief of Canada's History. Today I'm speaking with Joseph Trivers, a music acquisitions librarian with Library and Archives Canada, and we're going to be listening to two songs from the Library and Archives historical collection. First up is I Like to Do It, words and music by Byron Gay, performed by Billy Murray with orchestra. Well, Joseph, you might say we've got a real darb of a song we're going to explore in this podcast. <laughs> yes, some of the folks listening to this might even think that it's Jake or the bee's knees. As you might guess from some of the slang and phrases we're using, the song I Like to Do It was written and recorded in the jazz age, the Roaring Twenties. That's right, and some of that same slang also finds its way into the lyrics. I was wondering about that, but could you first tell me, is it my imagination or could the phrase used in the title of the song, I Like to Do It, have the same connotations as we know it today? I'd say it does, and a closer look at some of the lyrics suggests that this is definitely the case. Or at least that the singer likes to engage in the act of flirting and seduction that will lead to sex. Aside from the phrase, I like to do it, the most repeated word in the entire song is vamp. The word vamp is a slang term from the 20s and can have a couple of different meanings depending on its context. First meaning is either a woman who seduces men or is an aggressive flirt. In the second meaning, the word vamp could also mean to seduce or flirt. In the lyrics of the present song, the latter meaning is the most pronounced, with additional sexual overtones. In the chorus, you hear the words, You stamp and paw the air, while you vamp, vamp, vamp some lady there. The singer also sings of how he likes to do that salty vamp. Finally, you hear the repeated phrase, Vamp a little lady, which seems to suggest both of the meanings of the word vamp that we mentioned earlier. The singer also expresses that this flirting makes him want to sing, make love, and everything. It's pretty overt, but also rather playful and deliberately naughty. Well, you've certainly caught my attention. Why don't we listen to the song? I like to do it, 
It even haunts me in my sleep. It makes me want to sing, make love, and everything. My feet feel fidgety and witty, and I'm sitting pretty, all dolled up like a pollen lamp. They start to blew it, you stumble through it. It has a kick like 6%. There's nothing to it, and yet you do it with good intentions, badly bent. Every chair and table in the hall will try to dance with pictures on the wall. They like to do it, they like to do it, they like to do that naughty vamp little lady, vamp little lady, vamp little lady, vamp. Everybody does it, dances it, and loves it, wants to do it once more, hollers for an encore, everybody's got the bug. A baby vamp, a baby hug. It has a bigger wallop than old Omar Khayyam's jug. I like to do it, I like to do it, I like to do that naughty vamp, a little lady, vamp, a little lady, vamp, a little lady, vamp. Wow, you weren't kidding about those lyrics. Now, was this kind of overtness typical of some of the music of the day, or even the songs written by Byron Gay, who wrote both the lyrics and the music to the song? I think it taps into some of the social and artistic dynamism and shifting sexual mores of the time. Certainly, Byron Gay's career benefited from this time period and his contribution of songs to musicals by L. Frank Baum and his writing for Broadway and vaudeville. Gay had moved from Los Angeles to New York with his wife in 1917 to help further his songwriting career. In the year 1919, he wrote one of his biggest hits, called The Vamp, which appeared as a dance number in vaudeville houses in the Greenwich Village Follies of 1919. For our purposes, this song, The Vamp, is pretty interesting because it uses the exact same line, Vamp a Little Lady, that you just heard in the song I Like to Do It. The rhythm is the same, but the melody changes somewhat. There is also an extant recording of the vamp on Victor Records from 1919 that featured the vocals of Billy Murray on it. Billy Murray, I don't think you mean the actor from Caddyshack. Um, Is this the same singer on our present recording of I Like to Do It? Yes, it is. And it could be argued that Billy Murray was also critical to some of Gay's early success. Murray had recorded a version of Gay's song, the little Ford rambled right along and helped make it an early hit for Gay. Was Billy Murray that popular a singer? He was indeed. Murray was nicknamed the Denver Nightingale and recorded for all of the major phonograph records of the time, such as Edison, Victor, Columbia, Zonophone, Leeds and Caitlin, American and the International Record Company. He was particularly famous for his comedy songs and also appeared in vaudeville productions. Murray was a specialist in humorous, matrimonial, and ethnic dialect songs. He had developed his singing style in order to be recorded in acoustic records, a process he himself called a hammering style, which had him almost yelling into an acoustic recording horn. Now, this hammering style helped his voice stand out and be heard in acoustic recording sections. Acoustic recording was the mode of recording prior to 1925 and had singers and instrumentalists performing in front of a flared metal horn which gathered and funneled sound waves toward a thin diaphragm at the small end of the horn. The sound waves caused the diaphragm to vibrate and the vibration made a stylus etch sound waves onto a black wax rotating cylinder or disc. 
Murray possessed a clear tenor singing voice and sang with excellent diction and enunciation often coupled with a conversational delivery. In some of his comic songs, he even sang deliberately flat to help heighten the sense of comedy. The song certainly has a humorous streak. Is there anything else that we should be paying attention to? I think the song has a really funny structure from a lyrical standpoint. I mean, Murray starts out singing, this is the first verse, the second verse is worse, the next thing before us is a chorus, and that's it for the first verse. It lasts only two lines before we launch into a chorus that lasts almost a full minute. There's also a brief bridge toward the end of the song. All in all, I think it's best to sit back and enjoy what Murray does for effects, such as lingering on certain vowels and words to heighten the comedy. So why is this recording part of the Library and Archives collection? Well, there's a strong Canadian connection to it. Murray had been in contract with Victor and Edison until 1919, after which he would freelance with major labels. This freelance work allowed Murray to record with Berliner Records in Montreal, and it's what makes the present record special to Lack's collection. The present recording was part of a series of records he made that were only released in Canada. It was made in 1920 and shows Murray employing all of the tricks and techniques that ensured his success as an entertaining performer and acoustical recording artist. Next up is The Devil's Reel, a traditional instrumental by George Wade and his Cornhuskers. Now, Joseph, the title of this song tells us that it's a reel. Could you tell us a little bit about what exactly a reel is? Certainly. The word reel comes from Anglo-Saxon and Gaelic words meaning to whirl. The reel's an indigenous and old Scottish dance, and historically was qualified by terms like threesome, foursome, sixsome, and eightsome to indicate the number of dancers participating in the dance. One of the earliest references to the term reel actually appears in 1590 in a report of the trial of the witches at North Berwick. How fitting that we're now talking about a tune called The Devil's Dream. For our purposes, the term reel both refers to the folk dance type in either Scottish country dancing or Irish dance and to the accompanying dance tune type. The reel was introduced to Ireland from Scotland in the late 18th century and was probably introduced to North America through Irish and Scottish settlers. According to the Grove Dictionary of Music, the reel is the staple musical fare for square dances, though in the central and southern USA, it is often known by the name breakdown or hoedown. Musically speaking, the reel is notated in either 2-2 or 4-4, meaning it's either got two beats or four beats per measure. It follows a pretty standard structure. There are usually two parts to the tune or melody, A and B, and in most cases, A and B are repeated. This means you'd have a structure like A-A-B-B. Each part is typically eight bars long, so with the A-A-B-B pattern, the basic structure would normally accumulate up to 32 bars in length. Normally, this pattern is repeated three or four times before the new reel, in other words, a new tune, is introduced to the dance. And does The Devil's Dream follow this same structure? It does. Well, at least it does for the first time the band plays through the two sections. In this recording, uh, by George Wade and his Cornhuskers, the reel begins and follows the pattern we've just talked about, A-A-B-B. But then the pattern changes. 
Instead of going back to A again after hearing the B section, the band repeats the B section another two times before returning to the A section again. Now, this is where things get a bit more interesting, musically speaking, in the fiddle line. Because the fiddler begins to add subtle variations to it, like skips, slight changes in the melodic direction, and trills. It helps add to the excitement of the music. And throughout the piece, the rest of the band, composed of banjo, piano, and bass, maintains a steady and consistent rhythmic and harmonic background to which the fiddler can weave his melody and variations. This reel also seems to have two different titles, The Devil's Dream or The Deal Among the Tailors. Can you elaborate on that? According to resources such as The Fiddler's Companion or books like A Companion to the Reticule, the same tune has been known as The Devil's Dream, Deal Among the Tailors, or even Satan's Nightmare. Sources indicate that the tune was written in the late 18th century and may have been notated as early as 1800. It is a tune that has enjoyed enduring popularity in Scotland, Ireland, and North America ever since it was written. I'd like to draw particular attention to the title, The Dale Among the Tailors, or The Devil Amongst the Tailors, because it refers to the name of a pub game which is a form of table skittles. Skittles is an old European lawn game and a variety of bowling from which 10-pin and 5-pin bowling are descended. The purpose of the game is to throw or roll a ball back to knock down the skittles. The skittles are similar in shape to bowling pins. Now, the game of which we're speaking, Devil Amongst the Tailors, refers to a tabletop version of skittles in which one spins a wooden ball hanging from a vertical post in order to knock down nine small skittles arranged in a 3 by 3 square. I think this is a great image to help us picture the reel itself. Instead of dancers whirling around, we can have a ball whirling around in a circle around its vertical post. The music of our reel, or more specifically, its title, certainly inspires images of a whirling nature. Well, why don't we listen to the song? Thank you. 
Well, that was great. We just heard the song, but Joseph, can you comment a little bit about George Wade and his Cornhuskers, who recorded the song? Certainly. George Wade and his Cornhuskers were the most popular Canadian country band of its day. They were based out of Toronto and performed at dances in Ontario and Quebec from the mid-1920s to the 1940s. They enjoyed a long performing career and performed on radio broadcasts on CFRB, a Toronto radio station still in operation, the Canadian Radio Broadcasting Commission, precursor to the CBC, and finally, on the CBC itself. The band also toured in Western and Atlantic Canada. George Wade and his Cornhuskers also recorded several 78s for RCA Victor, recording 13 in 1933 alone. The personnel on the recordings ranged from 4 to 15 musicians playing on instruments such as fiddles, banjos, guitars, piano, bass, and the harmonica. Now, it's important to note that Mr. Wade was the caller in this ensemble, meaning that his job was to call or prompt new dance figures and tunes during the course of the dance. Wade himself didn't play the fiddle, but did on occasion play the harmonica. Any final thoughts? Well, perhaps a personal reflection of sorts. I was in high school when the first recordings of people like Ashley McIsaac and Natalie McMaster were being released, and they ushered in a new wave and interest in traditional Celtic and fiddle music. I can also remember the Tommy Hunter show on TV and seeing broadcasts of Don Messer. Looking back at historical recordings by George Wade and his Cornhuskers reflects the continuity of certain musical traditions throughout a recorded legacy in Canada. I like the fact that we're able to trace Canadian involvement in a musical tradition, such as Gaelic fiddling, stretching back almost 100 years in our recording heritage, but also back centuries in a musical and dance tradition. Well, thanks so much for speaking with us today. You're welcome. My pleasure. Sounds Like History is an exploration of the Virtual Gramophone Collection and was produced by Canada's History Society in collaboration with Library and Archives Canada. Learn more at canadashistory.ca.